This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Damian Martin on SEN. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Sports Stories thanks to Bower and O'Day because the little things are everything. We've got a very special guest today. I'm not Tim Gossage, but our special guest, he is hopefully going to make my job a lot easier with his inspiring story. Former teammate of mine, one of my best friends, Jesse Kendall James Wagstaff. How are you, Jesse? I've never been introduced like that, but thank you. Yeah, Jesse Kendall James Wagstaff. And I always forget that you've got the two middle names. Kendall, I remember, but the James. Before we even dive into anything related to basketball, why two middle names? I don't actually know. We, we end up giving our kids two middle names. Me and, me and my wife thought we'd have one each. So, like, we'd take one from her side of the family and one from my side of the family. I think it's a good idea, but um, I don't know why I got two. Not a problem. Just All ex- right. extra special. Put it on the to-do list. Might have to call mum and dad and finally figure out after nearly 40 years on this earth why you've got two <laughs> middle names. Almost 40, I said almost. But let's go back to the beginning. Tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Where did you call home? And then eventually, how did you fall in love with the sport? But first and foremost, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up in Canberra. Um, a lot of people don't give Canberra the props it deserves, I think. I love Canberra. I love growing up in Canberra. Um, I think it's a beautiful city. I think it's great. Great place to grow up. Um, yeah, grew up there until I was, uh, I guess, 18 and moved away to college. But um, I remember as a kid, a lot of sports. Um, you know, me and, my, me and my sister were very sporty. We kind of did everything. She was much better athlete than me. But a um, lot of team sports and ironically everything but basketball. Um, I used to, you know, footy, cricket, soccer. We used to do swimming, athletics, tennis. I believe there's one sport in particular, or one event within athletics that you really thrived in. Do you mind elaborating on that one? You may be looking and, and sitting next to a, a former ACT junior race walking champion. Um, <laughs> maybe. Um, so, yeah, we used to... Hang on, hang on. I can't let you go past that. <laughs> so you were a legit race walker. And is this where if your heel doesn't touch at the same time, what are the rules around it and how yeah. far did you go with it? Well, it has been a while. Um, I believe... Uh, a leg has to be in contact with the ground at all times and your knee must be straight when it passes underneath your body. I think they're the two the two rules. But no, I, I, I'm not even joking here. Canberra has a phenomenal race walking community. Um, yes, they've got the AOS there and uh, we got coached by a former Olympian in Simon Baker. I still remember his name. And um, as I said, my sister was a much better athlete and I, she did hold some Australian junior records for, for race walking. I was never that good, um, but she was phenomenal. Um, and yeah, they held some records for a while. Um, so we took it. We took it pretty seriously as a family. Um, I was more of a, a thrower, I guess, javelin. So you're also looking at a, a throws champion of, of ACT junior, mind you. It was like an under ninety. Let's let's be yeah, real. No, <laughs> we want to hear all about yeah. all these awards. Um, no, so we used to we used to play kind of every sport but basketball. But um, I reckon I was about fourteen or fifteen, and a friend asked me to join in uh, one Friday afternoon. I was always pretty tall, and joined in and. Um, as with most things, you, you kind of enjoy it once and you enjoy the people around it. So you, you go back and I've kind of been playing ever since. Your sister, Naomi, who you spoke about, was she also very good at crew? Am I correct in saying that? At rowing? Rowing, oh, yeah. Oh, crew. Wow, I didn't know you were American. Mm. Um, no, she was good at rowing. I also did rowing. Um, but she she um, yeah, was very good at rowing as well and, and also worked for Rowing Australia for you know, a bit over a decade, I think. So, um, yeah, yeah, she... Yeah, she, as I said, she was a much better athlete than me. So it was just the two of you at home, both thriving in whatever sport you put your mind to, <laughs> not basketball initially, but your parents separated when you were quite young. Did that have any impact on you or how was it growing up with parents who decided to go their separate ways? Yeah, it's funny. I still actually, I don't remember too much of that time, but I do remember them both sitting down in the lounge room. I remember our old house where we, where we used to live and I remember mum and dad coming in and sitting down and 
obviously as a kid, I was maybe nine or 10. I don't remember the exact age, but um, obviously pretty devastating. I remember sitting on my dad's lap crying. Like, mm. um, And it's funny, I don't remember probably six months after that, but in terms of, of life after that, um, my dad, I think, was originally, well, not originally, but he was working at the time as a public servant um, and had taught uh, high school and primary school before that. So he actually went back to teaching and ended up teaching woodwork in my school. So ironically, I probably saw him more after, um, even though he'd moved out. Um, he used to come and pick me up from school and um, drop me off after after school and um, see him on the weekends, spend it, spend it at his house. So ironically, I, I probably saw him more, you know, if, if you if your parents work a nine to five and, and you go to bed pretty early, often you don't see him much. So, um, yeah, ironically, yeah, probably, you know, saw him more through school and stuff like that. But um, I think it affected me somewhat. But um, as I said, you you kind of um, not move on is a very bad choice of words. Mm. But um, I, I was kind of so young and, um, yeah, just kind of got on with life. And, and mum kind of, she was the, the main caregiver for, for a long time there. Mum, Barbara, Dad, Derek, now that you're a father of your own, do you see any of their parenting skills or the way they went about it in the own, in your own approach to being a dad? Um, a little bit. Um, as you get older, you probably see and, and start to see some of your parents' traits come out in you more so than mm-hmm. the, the kids. So I haven't seen too many in the kids, but I've certainly seen some of, some of my parents' personality traits come out in, in me more so. <laughs> But the one I want to ask about, because not necessarily when it comes to parenting, but just something that you take after with your dad. Now, has your dad built a boat? And because you also started a company called Jassembled. So Jesse assembles, Jassembled, put it together. Is this something you and your dad share? Uh, well, as I said, dad dad uh, originally went, he was a public servant and he, he held another number of jobs, but um, he was a woodwork teacher for a while. So He's pretty handy and he's retired now. So, yeah, a while ago we decided to, to build a boat. Um, he's got a massive shed on his property, so he, he just loves, I guess, pottering around and um, just loves building stuff. He, if he could spend a day in the shed, that's a day well spent for Dad. So um, I, I certainly I think I've inherited that. Um, I remember as a kid um, helping him build stuff, helping him billy carts and, and the back decks and, um, you know, a lot of things I remember building. And I, I, he looks back on those times fondly too, I think. I think that is absolutely brilliant. We're here with Jesse Wagstaff. He's finally discovered a ball into his teens. He's taken to the sport and then you decide, I'm going to use this as a passport to see the world and get a degree. Can you talk to us about your days at Metro State in Denver, Colorado? Yeah, look, um, the basketball community is great in Canberra. Um, you know, I was originally playing just in the Waratah League, which is, is now NBL One East. Um, really enjoying my time. I, I started uni at ANU for, for a year. Um, what were you studying? I was studying engineering, um, kind of general engineering at that time. So I'd had a year under my belt and I'd contemplated going overseas and, and playing, but I didn't really have any contacts and you'd know as well as me. Back in those days, it was kind of VHS tapes and, yeah. <laughs> and that's, all, that's all you really had. We're showing our age Yeah, now. like email was coming in. So, <laughs> um, so I'd, I'd kind of sent mass emails out and that was my form of recruiting, but um, I Did you a, sign off Jesse, Kendall, James Wax? No, no, okay. unfortunately not. Just, yeah, no, just Jesse. Um, no, but uh, I had a, a really good under-20s um, national tournament. Um, ironically, ACT were possibly not going to field a team because it's, it's fairly limited numbers in ACT. And a lot of people drop off at kind of that 19, 20 mark. They get a job or they go to uni. But we, we just put in a team and I had a fairly good tournament and, and got offered a few scholarships. And, and Metro State was one of them. And um, Mike Dunlap was there at the time. He was good friends with, with Brian Gorgian and... It was kind of a no-brainer. They had a, a really good pipeline of Aussies and, and phenomenal Aussies. You, you look at the national team um, from a few years ago and you look at, well, even even now, um, Nick Kay went to, to Metro and 
they've had some phenomenal plays through there. So it was, it was kind of a no-brainer. Mike Dunlap is a legend of the game when it comes to coaching. He's been coaching in Australia, in America, in the NBA, you name it, he has done it. But he's also got a reputation for being quite ruthless and a, a disciplinarian. What were some of the lessons you learned from him? And do you still have some of those traits in your game? Look, I think uh, in terms of as a person, I think ironically he, he's probably influenced me more so than almost anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I only had him for a coach for a year. Um, he, he ended up moving on to the Nuggets the, in my sophomore year. But in terms of an influence in a limited period of time, he'd be he'd certainly be up there. Um, he's he's very hard nosed. Um, you know, I was I was almost left alone. I, I think I had a run in early on with him when um, I thought uh, he thought I, I ignored him on the bench, but I I, I didn't. Um, I <laughs> that didn't. was enough. I, yeah, no, I, I just I just didn't hear him. And um, I remember going to his room after the game, and we lost. We had a, a fairly rough start my freshman year. I think we had new nine new new players, but. I remember going to his room and just kind of explaining myself and saying, you know, look, I, I, I didn't hear, I don't have anything more for you. And he kind of asked me if I was homesick and, and he was annoyed that I, I wasn't giving him straight answers. And I said, no, mate, I'm not homesick. Like, I'm, I, I love it here. Like, <laughs> um, and, and so we got on, he kind of left me alone after that, to be honest. Um, I'm fairly uh, low maintenance as a player as it is. But, um, yeah, he was he was a phenomenal um, inspiration. And as I said, we we – you know, in terms of an influence, he's, he's right up there, I think. You had a hell of a college career. I won't go through absolutely every accolade, but you were all-Australian tournament team, you were all-conference, first team, player of the conference. After four years, w- why did you decide, yep, this is it, I'm going to come home? Because you were dating an American girl at that stage. How did you meet Steph? And was there any ever talk at any stage to say, okay, if you want to be with me, I'm from Colorado, my, my sisters, my family just down the road, we're staying. Yeah, it was, I actually, I didn't go over to, you mentioned earlier, I didn't go over to really play basketball. I kind of went over to get a degree and mm. basketball was the vehicle. And that's kind of always been the, the path. And after four years, I, I honestly didn't know what I wanted to do. Me and Steph were relatively new to dating. I think we've been together for, for two years. I hope she doesn't listen and correct me. <laughs> maybe two years, two and a half, <laughs> two and a half years maybe. Um, and so it was it was an awkward time almost. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Obviously, from I'm, I'm from a different country and she's very close to a family who are all still in Denver. Um, but the opportunity did come up to play and I thought, you know, why not? It was originally a two-year deal and um, that's what I told Steph and that's what I told my mother-in-law and it was originally just two years and here we are 15 years later. How did you meet Steph? Uh, she actually played on the basketball team. She was a, she was a very good player. Um, she is a straight shooter, um, gambles on defense, um, <laughs> allergic to the paint, never shot a free throw in her life because she hates contact. Um, no, but she was very good. Her whole family, she has three. That can't old... be true. You've got three, ki- two, three kids. <laughs> Apologies. Gambles, gambles. Um, no, no, she, uh, her family, she's the smallest of a family um, and, and three older sisters who all played in the same conference um, and who are all very good basketballers. Um, Poor, poor father. Um, four, four teenage daughters at the same time. All very competitive. It was a, uh, it was a very interesting household. I think. I want to go back to Mike just briefly because there's a lesson that I pass on to any junior I coach, and I credit you with it. So I'm hoping this is truthful. Did Mike have a, a rule that at training you couldn't drop your hands below your waist? Yeah. So, so we used to uh, Denver's. It's called the Mile High City, so it's it's fifty two eighty feet above above sea level, and that it's a phenomenal advantage. Um, you know, you go down to you know play some teams in Hawaii at sea level, and and you really notice, and it even more so when teams come up. So we were very well conditioned, um, but we often 
you know, Mike, coach, I call him still coach. Yep. It's old, old habits die hard. Um, if we were in a huddle or uh, getting a drink, our, our hands always used to have to be above our waist and, and be ready for, for anything really. So I often find myself hooking my thumbs into my my uh, my jersey at practice. Um, and even it's it's the worst when you don't have a jersey on because you you have to find a way to keep your hands above your above your your waist. But it was it was really was a thing we used to often talk about um, at the free throw line. Opposition teams if they ever put their hands on their knees, you knew you had them. Mm-hmm. And it was a psychological thing, whether it was false or real. Um, I remember multiple times looking at the the person next to me and having their their hands on their knees and thinking, ooh, I think we might have it here. But <laughs> You can't get deflections if your hands are by your side. Exactly. Can't catch the ball if your hands are by your side. Exactly. So I thought it was a brilliant lesson to carry over into the pros. And anyone who goes to a Wildcats game to this day will still see you put those thumbs between the jerseys, <laughs> uh, hooking underneath your neck. So I think it is amazing. Now, you did come out to Australia to play in the NBL. Everyone knows you for being a one-club player, the only player in the history of the game to have won all six and only ever played at one club. But it almost wasn't to be. You almost weren't a Perth Wildcat. Yeah, you, you mentioned, um, sorry, Mike Dunlap. And, you know, I mentioned before Brian Gorgian, they're very close. And uh, Mark Worthington at the time was playing for South Dragons under under Brian Gorgian. And it was almost, a, you know, if I did want to play in the NBL, it was almost just assumed that I'd go to South Dragons. And I was I was certainly happy. Who had just won the championship as well. Just won the championship. They just won the 2009 championship. And so it was it was almost a done deal. Um I, I didn't really think too much about it. It was just kind of, oh, well, I'll go to South Dragons and, and they were happy to have me and I was happy to go. And I remember uh, I was waiting for the contract and I, I remember calling my agent, Jeff, who obviously was your agent back in the day. And um, he kind of said, well, South Dragons are no more. I said, well, uh, what do you mean? Like oh, sending the contract to you? He's like, no, no, they're out of the league. And I, and I oh, well, we didn't really talk to anyone else like that. <laughs> I remember Reese Carter, who you and I got to call a teammate years later. He was on that Dragons team, and at their celebratory championship dinner, the owner got up and said, "And if we win it next year, I'm flying you all to America, like to Vegas, to that celebrate." Could have been me. You could make any promise at that <laughs> stage if you're about to fold, but that could have been yeah, that they existed. Maybe they were making promises like that, and that's why they're not here anymore. But yeah, it was it was a shock because we had not even considered going to another team. So. Um, Jeff got on the, the blower real quick and, and started looking around and it, it just so happened Rob Beveridge got the, the job at Perth who, um, you know, I mentioned my dad, primary school teaching. My mum was also a primary, tool, primary school teacher and she actually taught him in primary school. So <laughs> it's a small world. And uh, yeah, we kind of called up Perth and, and Rob knew me from, from a junior in New South Wales and, and ACT. And um, yeah, next thing we know, it was pretty much the same deal and off to Perth. We're going to have to take a break because we're going to start at Perth after the break. But before we do, can you tell us a dad joke? Because if I had to title something to do with your book, your autobiography in years to come, it would be dad jokes, championships, and degrees. I think that's what yeah, I'd go is. with. So give us a dad joke. No, obviously I am a dad now and I've got three kids and, and you'd know as, you know as well as anyone, they often like to swallow things. So Kit, my youngest last night, actually, he um, swallowed some Scrabble letters. It was He's fine, um, but... Doing a poo could spell trouble. There we go. There's the first of many. I promise we'll get some more dad jokes out of Jesse Wagstaff. Inspiring sports stories. Thanks to Baron O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Damian Martin on SEN. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring sports stories thanks to Baron O'Day because the little things are everything. And we have Jesse Wagstaff, the current captain of the Perth Wildcats. We've heard about his upbringing. He's now just signed his 
first ever professional basketball contract with the Perth Wildcats. Can you remember moving to Perth and what were your initial thoughts on the city, the club, and, and maybe even whoever you called housemate at that time? It's funny you should say that because one of my first memories of Perth was, I think we moved into the West Beach Lagoon. I remember <laughs> arriving late at night um, and I got told I was sharing with, with Damien Martin, the one and only. And you got there, I think, that afternoon <laughs> and stole the master bedroom with the king-size bed. And I got the second bedroom, which I kid you not, there was a bed and the door hardly opened. It was tiny room. I had a couple of suitcases. I had to put the suitcases somewhere else. And you were living large in the master suite. <laughs> well, I'm 186 centimetres. How tall are you? Oh, 203 if I stand up straight. Yeah, so uh, I didn't mind grabbing the bigger bed and the bigger room. But, hey, you were late. I've always been the early guy, <laughs> which uh, everyone knows is completely incorrect. But on that occasion, I did. But we did. We called the West Beach Lagoon home. I was in a relationship, as were you, with two American girls. And they were yet to move to Australia. And we just thought, okay, we'll make the most of it. What was supposed to be two weeks, I think we ended up staying there for about six or seven yeah, or, yeah. or eight weeks. Can you remember our diet at the time? Because I look back on those days with a smile on my face, but how did our body tolerate it? I, I, I really look back on those times fondly. Um, it was, you know, we'd, we'd get home. We were, you know, for me, I'd been living in, in Denver for four years. So we were living, you know, 50 metres from the beach. Um, there was a Coles right, right down yeah. the street. So we used to go down. We used to get a... You know, some snags, chuck them on the barbie, <laughs> a couple of beers, and, and that was our dinner. And if we didn't do that, we'd cook up some pasta and some spaghetti sauce, and that was about it. It was um, it was good times. Go to practice in the in the morning, come home, go to the beach. Um, and I remember you looked for a house for about six weeks, <laughs> and I moved in with you after that. And that it, was, uh, it was brilliant times. But, yeah, that was literally it, snags and onions every night. If it wasn't that, it was pasta with tomato sauce. But we got there, and in 2009, we were teammates for the first time, and the Wildcats won their first championship in a decade. It seems like a, a lifetime ago, but can you remember that 2009-10 season under the guidance of Rob Beveridge, but with imports like Kevin Lish and Galen Young? Oh, now it's for Damien Martin, and he deserves full praise as well. What a season Damien Martin's had, Hammer. Going the point guard position, shot the ball extremely well. That's something he's brought to the table this season. And you see Andrew Vlahoff there with a big smirk on his face. Congratulations to him as well. And he will certainly enjoy this. And the former owner, Luke Longley, there as well. So all coming out to see this historic moment of the Perth Wildcats claiming their fifth NBL title. 24-point lead for Perth. They are going to win the NBL championship of 2010. The Perth Wildcats become the most successful team in NBL history. Yeah, that, that was, uh, I remember at the end of my first year, I remember kind of thinking, oh, that was easy. Like, it's kind of, that happens every year, right? And obviously it, it doesn't happen like that. But um, I, I also remember, and I, I often bring this up to, you know, teammates now is, you know, we talk about preseason. We had we had a lot of new players that year. I think mm -hmm. Brad Robbins, maybe Sean Reddish were the only two returners. Um, and I think we played a, a pretty heavy preseason schedule, maybe nine or ten games. And we didn't win one. Um, I remember we went 0-9 um, in the preseason. And obviously uh, with a club like the Wildcats and the expectation, that doesn't go down too well. But um, we, we got it together towards the end of the season. But, you know, the, the, the preseason form was, was certainly worrying. But there's been other preseasons where we haven't lost a game. Um, you know, so I, I often bring that up in, in team talks when, you know, perhaps things don't go your way in preseason. It's a, it's a relatively 
long year. Obviously, the season goes pretty quickly, but you know, preseason often is not a good indicator of, of eventual success. We had a preseason tournament up in Darwin, the pre preseason blitz. Can you remember the message Andrew Vlahov, who actually had no official capacity with the Wildcats at that stage, he'd, he'd sold to Jack Bendat as the owner, you know, legend of the club, got his jersey retired, but technically he w didn't have the ability to fire or employ or have a say at the club. But do you remember what he said to Kevin Lish, who'd just been brought in as our new import? Yeah, I'm not sure if you've got a language warning on these things. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think he told him to shoot the ball in, in probably a few more words. Um, but, you know, obviously Lish went on to, to do miraculous things. He was grand final MVP, he was multiple MVP winner. But, you know, we, we didn't have a great start. And, and I think what really turned his season around was, um, you know, a game in Townsville. I think it was our first road trip. And, yep. Um, you know, I'll just like say I got fouled, but I, I kicked it on to Kev Lish. I should have been shooting free throws. Video, yeah. yeah, but uh, he, he had a game-winning three and um, kind of really turned their season around. And, I, you know, crazily, it was Trev Gleeson coaching the, the, the Townsville Crocs at that time. And I remember Cam Tovey, who was playing for the Crocs, told me at, uh, at the, when I was – we eventually was, was with Perth. He said uh, after that game – Trev, uh, you know, obviously was pretty angry in the locker room and, and said, we can't lose to Perth. They won't win another game all season. <laughs> so I always remember. I'm not sure if I've even told Trev that, but I'll always remember that too. Yeah, we weren't going to win and we managed to win it all that year. It was a was a big year. You went on to win the NBL's Rookie of the Year. Can you remember any of the other candidates? Who were some of the other youngsters that year? Yeah, well, I, I, uh, Timmy Conrad was yep. always, was always. I mean, he was obviously for Wollongong and, and he played in that grand final series too. Um, we kind of had you know, mirroring careers that uh, he was at always at Illawarra and I was always at Perth. Um, I can't remember too many more, actually. Maybe Benny Madgen, um, he might have been next year, actually. But Tom Abercrombie was, was coming through the ranks and he's obviously still in New Zealand and, and had a phenomenal career. So um, that's kind of the, the last of the, the dinosaurs, I guess. I'm going to ask you a little bit later after the break about life after basketball, but I believe... You've had a previous employment or a previous job. Yeah, actually, I actually used to work at a bakery. It was um, it was a pretty crummy job, but made a lot of dough. I heard there was muffin to it. Yeah, piece of cake. You were the breadwinner of the family. <laughs> you know that I used to work in a bank. Oh, really? really? Yeah, I had someone come in and ask me to check their balance. Yeah, how'd that go? Oh, I got fired. I pushed her. <laughs> we better take a break. We're here for Baron O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Damian Martin on SEN. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring Sports Stories thanks to Bower and O'Day because the little things are everything. Here with Jesse Wagstaff, the captain of the Wildcats. We've heard about the first championship, your first of six in the 2009-10 season. After that, bow out in the semi-finals and grand final and then Rob Beveridge, who did convince you to come out to Perth, he gets fired. What type of toll did that take on you? Because that's all we knew at that stage was making finals under the guidance of Bevo. Yeah, it was, uh, as I said, we, we got to, to Perth at the same time and you were obviously a bit more experienced than me. But yeah, it was a, it was kind of a, a shock to the system. Um, Bevo was, was phenomenal and I know he was a great influence on your career, but uh, he was also mine, um, you know, four or five years or three or four years um, under Bevo and you, you get used to the style and you get used to, you know, what to expect to practice and, and, and things like that. And you kind of, you kind of get indoctrinated, I guess, a, a bit. Um, and so it was certainly a shock to the system and it was, it was very, I was very interested to see who'd come in. And when they did announce Trevor Gleeson, we had played against him. He was renowned for being a hothead, someone who walked up and down the sidelines pacing and really getting after the referees. Can you remember 
the, the moment you found out he was announced as coach and whether you were pro or against it or kind of on the fence? Well, I think that turned out to be correct, didn't it? He was, he was always a hothead and he, he still is. And, you know, that's what you love about Trev. No, I, 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 to be honest, I didn't really know too much about him. Um, I knew he'd been at Townsville and had great success there. Um, and then he went to Melbourne and, and that was a, a very interesting circumstance for him and his family. Um, but, you know, he, I think he inherited a, a great bunch of guys and a, a great system. Um, and he was really, really big on culture, as you know. And um, he came in and, and hit the ground running. I remember during a preseason, it had been announced that Trevor was going to be our new coach and multiple players came up and were telling me, you're going to hate this guy. You will not like playing for him. And I, I just remember being nervous, going, oh, what, what's going on here? And in the end, he's the second most winningest coach when it comes to championships of all time. One championship behind Brian Gorgian. But yeah, I remember hearing all those things. I did hear a few things about, um, I guess, the pace of his practices um, and the, the style of his practices. Um, you know, I think, I think someone told me that he doesn't allow water breaks. It was, it was all those, the, you know, those myths that you hear that just get exaggerated. Oh, they go for four hours and he hates water. And, but you know, somewhere in the, the middle lies the truth. He's got a fear of H2O. Yeah. Uh, all the championships. Now, I, 2009, 10 was the first, 2012, 2014, 2016, 2017, 2019 and 2020. Do any stand out one more than the other? Or do you remember each of them individually? That's funny. I don't remember them individually. Um, I do remember the first um, because I guess, one, it was the only one at Challenge. Mm -hmm. um, so it was kind of unique in that way. And it was my first year. And as I said before, I just thought that's what happened every year. Um, I also remember Bryce's first year. I do remember that one. And I, I remember that more so. Is that because you went five of 11th from the three-point line in the semifinals? No, I remember because he scored 45. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I remember it because he came in He came in just after Christmas, I believe. And we were really struggling. I think we were bottom or very close last, to the bottom. Yeah, last. last and yeah. we had a really good win in, in Wollongong before that, before he came in. He met us in Sydney and I guess the rest is history. But I, I do remember... Um, we had a lot of people write us off and I believe we swept the semifinal and the final series of that year. And obviously Bryce is a huge part of that. Um, but I, I do remember being kind of written off around Christmas time. Um, and that's, you know, it's a phenomenal feeling when you can do that and, and especially sweep the semi and finals. Since on this calendar year, they're 11 and four, the Wildcats. Hawks seven and seven. And we're going to get... Some bench players out there as well. Corbin Rowe checks in. Damian Martin sits down. Here's Redditch. Well, Nick Kay stripped him of it. Harris goes back to work. We'll add another two to his tally. But it matters not. The Perth Wildcats will be in celebration mode. And it begins now. Fraser with a big smile. Ten weeks ago, they were bottom of the NBL ladder. Today, they are NBL champions. You're so balanced in life. You've currently played more games than any other player out there in the NBL this season. What do you do to switch off? Or what have you done over the years so you never got mental fatigue uh, as well as taking care of your body? I think I've gotten better at it. And I think I've gotten better at probably the last two years more so than anything. Um, you know, I, I, I don't really have social media. I, I consume very little basketball outside of of. Being at the club you, you and, honestly right now sitting across from me couldn't tell me who's winning in the NBA, could you? No, no, none at all. Um, you know, and I, 
kind of like it like that. You know, basketball has never been my life and it never will be. And I'm okay with that. And I'm, I'm somewhat envious of, of guys who can say, oh, I've been playing basketball since I was five. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I envy that passion. And don't get me wrong, I have a, a huge passion for basketball and, and trying to succeed and, and, and things like that. But um, I like going home and, and not thinking about basketball. And um, especially the last two years, you know, I, I consume it very little. I don't read an article. I couldn't even tell you what the NBL ladder looks like right now. And I know that surprises a lot of people, but – because um, I do, I do watch a lot of film. No, I know that's true. Because <laughs> I walked up and said, "Hey, you know, you guys have jumped into second. You go, "Oh, that's good." <laughs> you had no idea. And uh, I, I think the the older I've got, the the more I realise that it, it that's okay, and it doesn't really matter. Um, it, it shouldn't matter what other teams are doing. You kind of concentrate on on yourself and and what you can control. And it it is a, it really is a cliche, but it it doesn't matter what articles the NBA write, what what the media says. It it, it matters very little. There's a saying that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And I believe that you've lived by that without ever realizing it. And I'm going to share a story. And I don't know if we've ever spoken I th about I this. I think that's a way of just saying I'm just being really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, not half of me to be in the, those right types of rooms. So it's not a problem I have. But for someone with multiple degrees, you might find it harder. But I remember with the Wildcats when I was playing, to get offered free tickets to pretty much anything at RSC Arena. Would walk in the wait, say, guys, who wants to go to Usher or whoever it might be? Yep, hands would go up. One day I walked in and almost just expecting I knew the answer, I said, who wants to go to Andre Ryu? Got tickets. Half of our teammates didn't even know who he was. The other half kind of giggled, but then you did put your hand up. And I was like, are you serious? You're like, yeah, I want to go. And I said, why? And I don't know if you remember this, but you said, anytime you have an opportunity to see someone who's the best at what they do, go along, you'll learn something. Is that something you've done, you know, with reading, with getting away from basketball, realizing there's ways to improve, even if this was done subconsciously, but get, get better in different ways without having to have a basketball in hand? Yeah, for sure. And I, half the time it's not even to improve. I think it's to experience life. Um, you know, we mentioned college before and that's why I wanted to go to college. Um, half because I wanted a degree, but half, you know, get away from Canberra. I did say Canberra was nice and I do like it, but um, get away from Canberra and you, you, you see the the life experiences that you have, um, you know, and, and we're in a kind of privileged um, situation where you can get, you know, you get offered tickets like that. And I think it's, it's silly if, if, if you're offered a free ticket not to go and experience something like that. Like that. Um, I've been to musicals and that's not really my jam, but I enjoy them when they go and I enjoy seeing other professionals do what they are exceptionally good at. Um, and Andre Rio was just one of them. You know, 50 Cent was in town the other day and I would have loved to have gone. We had something else on. But, you know, that's not my type of music. But at the same time, he's a professional and he's great at what he does. So to see that in another, I guess, arena is, I think, some, something special. I believe you're more of a strawberry jam type of guy. Uh, give me one more dad joke before we've got to go to a break. Well, I thought I'd keep it family and, um, and you know, Steph. And actually, the other day, I replaced all the beds in the house with trampolines. She hit the roof. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to talk about family after this. It's Inspiring Sports Stories with Jesse Wagstaff. Thanks to Baron O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. This is Inspiring Sports Stories with Damian Martin on SEM. Thanks to Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Inspiring sports stories. Thanks to Baron O'Day because the little things are everything. We're with Jesse Wagstaff, the current captain of the Wildcats. And I want to start there with captaincy and leadership. Crazy. Um, you know, I was just thinking back that, you know, I started this club 11 years ago, 12 years ago now. And um, to look back, it's kind of blink of an eye and it's, it's come to this. So um, it's a huge honour. Um, pretty humbled and, um, yeah, pretty honoured to, to, to get the captaincy. 
you know, that's definitely been one of the Wildcats' strengths over the years and, and that consistency and, and not getting an entire new group um, in every year. I think that, you know, stands us in good stead usually at the start of the season and then towards the end of the season, um, you know, we play together pretty well. But um, that's always been a, a pretty good strength, I think, is keeping that core, core group together and hopefully we've, we've kept a, a core um, together pretty well this year too. So I don't think it will change much. Um, hopefully try to, you know, lead by example and, um, you know, I, I guess give an example of the younger blokes of how to act and, um, how to hold yourself. Um, as I said, I don't think much will change. If I see something, I'll say it. Um, if not, I'll, I'll shut up. Um, you know, we've got a lot of, a lot of other guys on the team who, who were respected and um, knowledgeable of the game. If they see something, they'll say it. Um, you know, BC has been here for a while now. Norto has been here for a while. Clint, um, you know, so we've got a number of guys there that, that can also speak up. Have you always been a natural leader? And, and how would you explain or define the way you go about being the captain of the most successful franchise in the NBL? Yeah, look, I, th I got asked about this the other day. I did a talk for Rio and it kind of made me consciously think about it because I, I never really consciously think about it. And and you actually came up. I remember when you retired in, in 2020, um, you know, this isn't about you, but for me, you were the best leader I've ever played under. I think you were, you were so charismatic and um, you were smart, you're mentally tough, you did the right things. And I remember when you leaving, um, it was the natural progression was for me to step up and I, I kind of felt this pressure to emulate what you had done. Um, but you and I are different people. And I, I think my first year, I didn't try to emulate you, but I was, I was a bit uncomfortable and, and felt like I had to do what Damo would do. Um, but as I said, we are, we are different people. So we have, we have different styles. And as I said, you're much more charismatic than me. You're much more outgoing and, and things like that. So I've kind of tried to find my own niche and, you know, I, I won't say too much. Um, obviously there's times when I need to, um, but my, I guess my, my natural, um, I guess demeanor is, is much more quiet. And so, um, it's sometimes a struggle to, especially with a young and, and quiet group to, to find those times to speak up. Um, but you know, it's a struggle that I've, I've had to deal with and, and just trying to lead in my own style, I guess. Well, and I appreciate the kind words. I truly do. But secondly, would you have any idea what your teammates would say about you as a leader? Um, no, I, I think that'd say I'm probably re relatively measured. Um, I, I don't kind of get too flustered. Um, although sometimes it may appear I do on court, but, um, you know, feeling measured and, and calm and, and now I'm, you know, I'm one of the older guys of the group. So, you know, just kind of the old dad, I guess. <laughs> no, well, I, and I have spoken to quite a few of them about it and I think it'd, it'd blow your mind, not blow your mind, but the amount of respect they've got for you because they know that if they ever need a bit of grounding, if they ever need a bit of motivation, inspiration, that it may not be the words that come out your mouth, but it's the day-to-day -day actions you have. You are elite in your daily behaviors. But because you're so consistent, you know, a lot of people fluctuate. It's a roller coaster is their career and their life. And they kind of let their career dictate who they are in life. Whereas you've never allowed sport to dictate that. Yet in saying that, you've never taken shortcuts. Not one day have I ever seen you take off and your players respect that. So they know that you won six championships. You are the captain. I think it was unanimous again for three years in a row when it came to the vote. So it's something that you should know your teammates do hold you in the highest of regard because you're doing it your way and you've done so for over a decade. Now, you're not a guy I take, legacy is important to you, but it is something that you do have a legacy and a massive legacy at this club. You're not far off 482 games, which is the record for most games at the Wildcats by a player, that being Ricky Grace. When you retire, would you like to have that record? Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't say, of course, that'd be amazing. Uh, but in saying that, I'd have to play another season. And I, I think... You know, we're halfway, exactly halfway through this season. Um, so there's a lot of water to go under the bridge. Um, I've pretty much not retired, but thought about retiring every year for the last four years. How close have we got? 
exceptionally close. Um, and as I said, I'm not married to basketball, and I think that's a good position to be in. Um, so exceptionally close. You know, I told Scott Morrison at, at my exit interview um, before he he resigned that you know I was 95% done, and I was very comfortable with that. Um, it just so happened that you know opportunities came up, and I my, I still felt good physically and mentally. So I thought you know why not? He, he didn't accept it on the spot, did he? He told you to go away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I at our exit meeting, he I said, look, I'm I'm kind of done, and he he said, okay, well, what percentage? I said, well, what do you mean, what percentage? Like, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm happy retiring. He's, no, nah, if you have to put in a percentage, I was like, I'm 95%. <laughs> and so he certainly reminded me that over the years that that 5% came true. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, to get that record, I have to play another year. And I don't think that's a – I think that's uh, one selfish probably to, to play again just because of that. Um, and, and so, you know, I wouldn't be playing to get the record. Obviously, if I did as a byproduct, then fine, and that's phenomenal and great, and I'd, I'd have great pride in that. But I wouldn't play solely just to get the record. There'd have to be some other things that lined up as well. At the end of this year, I know you've got to make some big decisions about retirement going on. And I dare say the second half of this season will dictate whether you do go on. But what's life post-basketball look like for you, regardless of whether it's in 12 months, 24 months, 36, who knows? But what do you have planned? Yeah, I'm not sure yet, really. Um, it's Let, Let's start with what degrees and certificates. <laughs> what, what do you have so far in the folder at home? I've got civil engineering undergrad with a, with a maths minor because um, I'm a nerd. Uh, I've got an MBA through Curtin University. I've got a Master's of Traffic Engineering through, uh, that was Monash, and then I've got a, a grad cert in financial planning through through Griffith. Um, and in October, you're inducted into Curtin University's Vice-Chancellor's Elite Athlete Alumni. <laughs> there we are. I, I didn't even know about it for a while. Um, no, and, you know, that's something I always, as I said, I went to college to get a degree, and, and basketball was a vehicle, and basketball's always been a vehicle. It's been a vehicle to study. It's been a vehicle to see the world. It's been a, bas- a vehicle to, to meet phenomenal people and, you know, and financially secure, you know, my family and, and ourselves. So, you know, it's, it's always been a, a phenomenal vehicle, and forever, I'm forever grateful for that. Um, but at the same time, it, it's not everything. You told your wife, Steph, two years. I've signed two years. You told her mother, two years. <laughs> You're now coming into year 14, year 15, whatever it, it is now. How is family life and is Perth or Australia at least home for Steph and the three kids? Yeah, you mentioned at the start, you said, would you would you ever contemplate living in the States? And originally that was the deal. And I was more than happy with, with that being the deal. You know, play two years and then she'd given me two years and I could give her two years back in, back in the States. But she's now Australian citizen. Uh, I think I remember when she first came out, not when she first came out, but very early on, she said, I'm not having kids here. Um, <laughs> three kids later, um, we, they're all Aussie citizen, dual citizen, sorry. So she's a dual citizen as well. And, um, we love it here. Um, it is far away from her family and that does certainly take its toll. Um, I'm not probably the, the favorite son-in-law with, with Nancy, the mother-in-law. Um, but you know, they've been out and they've seen the life we've kind of created for ourselves. And I spoke about it recently, but you know, that's probably what I'm most proud of in my whole entire career is the life that, um, you know, we've created for ourselves here um, with, with great friends like you guys and, you know, seeing the kids at school and walking up to school and having a house and, and being stable in that um, environment is, is probably, I feel like, my biggest, I guess, life accomplishment. It's, it's life is good and um, I want to always say that with the three kids and, you know, it certainly has its difficulties, but um, that's I've, certainly I've, that's what I'm most proud about. Birmingham, Com Games, Gold Coast, Com Games, World Uni Games. You represented Australia a number of times on different levels. Which Australian representation means the most to you? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, oh, they're all they're all really different and really special for different reasons. Um, you know, Birmingham was 
was overseas. And again, you talk about basketball being a vehicle. I'd never been to England and I wanted to experience a, an away comm games and it was three on three and something different. Got to experience with Greg High, yeah. you know, one of my best mates as well. Like it's, that was a different experience as well. So that was phenomenal. Obviously didn't win and, and lost in a tough game in the final. So that put a bit of a dampener on it. But, you know, Gold Coast was phenomenal. Um, obviously you were there and, and a, a home uh, Commonwealth Games is, is something else and hearing the anthem, um, you know, and then any time you get to, to put on your jersey for the for Australian jersey is, is such an honour um, and especially the legacy that the Boomers have now and, um, you know, that representing at the Olympics, it's it's such a special moment and that's what you kind of dream about. Obviously, I didn't dream about it as a young kid, but, you know, you start taking it a bit more seriously and you, you think, well, what's the next level? And that's always kind of representing your country. Um, and so any time you get to do that, it's, it's such a huge honour. You mentioned jerseys and legacy. Last one I have for you. Do we see the number twenty-four retired up there in the in the rafters one day? Uh, it won't be until after the fifty-three. Obviously, the fifty-three. They're, <laughs> no, run, hey. they're running out of room. Well played. <laughs> I believe it should be, and I believe it definitely will be if you overtake that four eighty-two. If that's any incentive oh, to go with, Jesse. Before we wrap it up, can you give us one more dad joke? Well, it's funny because Steph, after I placed the the beds with trampoline, she she called me pretty average, and I thought that was that's just mean. That's a nerdy joke for you, by the way. You probably oh. don't get it. Yeah, well, you do get it. Yeah, it's mathematical <laughs> terminology. Yeah. I tell you all, what, it took all, me a while. For all the nerds out there, that's for you. <laughs> that's what you're leaving yeah. us with. No, very good. That is Jesse Wagstaff for inspiring sports stories. Thanks to Baron O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Jesse, nerd, Wagstaff. Thank you very much, mate. Kendall James, thank you. <laughs>